This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Up next from Craigslist Foundation, learn how your nonprofit can monitor its finances quickly and easily. Sohela Maria Silva explains how to engage your board, staff members, and volunteers in all stages of the financial management process, from budget development through reporting. From the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor Snibby, and I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Welcome to the free series of podcasts of Craigslist Foundation's nonprofit boot camps. Designed to help people help people. To learn more about Craigslist Foundation or the nonprofit bootcamp conferences, visit www.craigslistfoundation.org. This series is funded by the Community Technology Foundation of California, which helps underserved communities secure social justice, access, and equality through the application of information and communications technologies. Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. And now, here's our presentation from the Craigslist Foundation. So, my name is Sohela Maria Silva, and I'm with the Northern California Community Loan Fund. This workshop is Financial Management 101. The loan, the the nonprofit world is a web of relationships, and you really, your your best resources are the people that you know the people that you already have some kind of working relationship with. And I work for the Loan Fund, the Northern California Community Loan Fund. And what we do is we build the financial capacity of nonprofits in a few different ways. We do it through lending, we do it through consulting, and we do it through training. Obviously, today falls into the training portion of that. Um, and we're a, we're a nonprofit. We deal exclusively with nonprofits or cooperatives. Um, and there are handouts, if you guys would pick them up as you come in. Um, but we are, our money comes from people who invest in the loan fund, what are called socially responsible investments, and, and they invest in us because they know we're going to turn around and invest it in something good. And it's like getting, it's like pooling money. Um, and, and so that is what we do with it. And we, so I already said we do lending, consulting, and training. Um, our consulting and training practice has sort of two big areas of work. One is, finance, so all things financial, and the other is real estate, also called facilities. Um, so we, we answer questions, we do in-depth consulting, we do training in those two areas, financial management, or anything that's finance actually, and anything that's real estate. Um, so I'm not going to read you both of all of this stuff, but basically we just want to help you build the systems, the organizational culture, and the confidence to use financial data when you make decisions for your organization. Um, so we have two primary workshops in the financial area. One is called the Financial Statements Primer, and that's a, a three-hour workshop. It's a jammed three-hour workshop. We're going to do it today in 15 minutes. So, you know, obviously, you're only going to get a teeny overview. Um, and the second thing is we do a strategic budgeting primer. Again, it's a jammed three-hour workshop. Um, and we're going to do that in 15 minutes. So you're only going to get a tiny little taste of it. Um, and facility fitness is all things financial, or all things real estate. Um, so we won't even spend any time on that. But here's the essence of it. We know money, we know real estate, and we know nonprofits. If you have a question, call us because we can help. We, this is our service area. So we work in the 46 counties that are Northern California. That means that Tulare and... Kings County in the south, all the way up to the Oregon border. So does my car have a lot of miles on it? Oh, yeah. The, the first big concept, and I wish that I had known this 20 years ago when I was first running a nonprofit, there are two totally different perspectives, two totally different designs of financial management systems. One is regulatory, and the other is strategic. The most common financial management systems I see in nonprofits and the, the systems I built in my own organizations for the first, I'm embarrassed to say, 18 years, 
were regulatory. That means that the systems are built to satisfy the needs and questions of your regulators. The other kind, which I have now figured out, are strategic. And that's what we're going to focus on today. If you have good strategic systems, they will also satisfy your regulators. But excellent regulatory systems are useless for a strategic manager. And you can quote me on the word useless. Um, OK, any, any similarities between the two kinds of systems are superficial. You will see many reports that look the same. That's just by happenstance. They are very, very different kinds of systems. And you build them differently from the ground up. OK, so we divide, and when I say we, I mean at the loan fund, we talk about accounting or financial systems as three different pieces. The, the bottom most basic piece is financial accounting. And this is what most people do. So financial accounting, and, and many people have really terrible financial accounting systems. But a good financial accounting system, oh, oh, I'll go through the definitions in a minute. OK, so we have financial accounting. Separately, we have managerial accounting. And finally, we have strategic deployment. Regulatory systems are financial accounting. Sometimes those organizations have some managerial accounting systems. They never have strategic deployment because they don't have the tools for strategic deployment. On the strategic side, the, the basis is financial accounting. You get good managerial accounting, which we'll cover in a minute what it means. And then good financial accounting and managerial accounting are the, are the tools that you need, some of the tools that you need to be able to do strategic deployment. OK, so the, here's what financial accounting is. Financial accounting is the things that you do. It's, it's documenting information about income and expenses and assets and liabilities, stuff you buy and things you owe. Um, it's recording that information accurately and systematically into some kind of system. It can be a paper system, and it can be a computer system, but just, just it means recording it accurately. And finally, it means producing standard financial reports. In a good system, you produce them in a timely manner. Um, if you're one of my clients, you very often don't. That's why you're working with me. Um, and all of this is to satisfy external regulators or external stakeholders. So the IRS and your funders and maybe even your board are extremely happy with an organization that has good financial accounting systems. And they're satisfied with that. And they don't need anything else. Um, the next level of systems is what we call managerial accounting. So these, are, these take all the information that you put into your financial accounting systems, and they produce reports, simple, comprehensive, hopefully timely reports that answer questions. So reports for the sake of reporting are a waste of everybody's time. Um, we haven't convinced the IRS of that, but, but they're a waste of everybody's time. Um, but when you need to make decisions, you need a very different kind of information that comes out of a financial accounting system. And that, that level of thinking and reporting we call managerial accounting. The highest and best use of all of your resources is strategic deployment. Um, so strategic deployment is, in, in a nutshell, it's the alignment of your money and your mission. And if you don't have good managerial accounting systems, you can never get to strategic deployment because you can't ask questions and get good answers fast. Which means that when you make decisions, you're making them without financial data as, as part of the data that goes into your decision making. Strategic deployment at its, at its best has some other features. The organization has some other features. It has very clearly stated goals, very clearly defined priorities. So pr prior goals are prioritized. There is financial transparency at all levels of the organization. Because if people are making decisions at different levels, they need financial information to make those decisions with. And finally, day-to-day -day decision making is decentralized. So in the most, for strategic deployment, you would see those same, those three features in, in any organization that's really deploying resources strategically. 
Okay, so this is another look at regulatory versus strategic systems. So in regulatory systems, the organization has its mission and it has its goals. It doesn't have those goals prioritized. So when, when push comes to shove and something has to get cut, they don't know exactly what's going to get cut. Or when a little windfall comes and there's some extra money, they don't know exactly where to put the additional resources. Um, at the next level, a regulatory system has an annual budget. People come up with these budgets in all kinds of ways, but they have the budget and it's good enough for the funders, right? In a strategic system, you have what we call a strategic budget. And there is a difference. A little later, we're going to look at a couple of budgets and see the difference between at least three of them. And then finally, a regulatory system has what we've already talked about, which is very standardized financial reports, almost useless for, for quick management decisions. A strategic system has monitoring reports. You've already, you've already done the prioritizations. You've already done the budget projections. And now you're just monitoring to make sure that you're on target. Um, OK, so this is sort of the wrap up of financial management. And especially for all of you, how many of you are in organizations that are either very nascent, haven't started up, or are less than two years old? That's a lot of you. How many of you in organizations older than two years old? OK, about a third of you. Um, OK, organizational life cycle matters. Many of you, when you put together your board, will have board members that are that come out of particularly um, very established nonprofits or the for-profit sector. They, those organizations may be deeply entrenched in financial, in the regulatory perspective, and they may be deeply bureaucratic. Um, and that's a reflection of a perspective and a, and a stage of life cycle, not necessarily a good stage. Um, so, so just keep that in mind. We can't really talk about all the differences in life cycle. I think I put in a slide that has um, a few articles and books on life cycle, because life cycle really matters from sort of startup to age five. Your board's role changes, your board's role in financial management and in fundraising changes, and the staff's role changes. The ED's role changes dramatically over that period of time. OK, the second thing is, Simple is better. It doesn't matter how free a, an accounting software package is. If you can do your accounting on paper and it really does serve your needs, do that for as long as it works for you. And you will know that the system no longer works when you're asking questions that it cannot answer quickly. At that point, you go to the next level. You don't need to build a more complex system than your life stage or your questions are ready for. Because uh, system for a system's sake is, guess what? What, what, we, what, what we say it is, it's like, the, it's like the financial reports for financial reports sake. Thank you very much. That's exactly what it is. You guys are good. OK. Here's another big tip. And this I wish I had known many, many years ago. Don't let a regulatory thinker design your strategic systems. Because regulatory th thinkers will build you regulatory systems. And you want strategic systems. From the very first day you start to operate, you want strategic systems. Strategic doesn't mean complex, right? Simple is better. But you want the thinking of a strategic system built into the very core of your organization. And this is why. Because the basic building block of all of your financial systems is a thing we call a chart of accounts. For all of you who deal with databases or Excel spreadsheets, any of that stuff, a chart of accounts limits, is, is sort of the boundaries of the column headings and rows that you can have in your financial reports. So when you ask your system a question, the options you have for column headings and rows 
are the limit of how good your information can be. A regulatory system will not have a strategic chart of accounts. So if you will get to that point, you know this is on the slide, you don't really know what I meant, call me. Okay, the important part is that you know this piece. Remember the word phrase, chart of accounts. Do not let someone who loves to make numbers line up for the sake of making them line up, develop your chart of accounts. Call me before you do that. And it should be a list, you can use it as a litmus, litmus test of what kind of thinker the person is. Um, oh, I'm sorry, okay, so that's our financial management wrap up. Um, is any of that unclear? I mean, I know it was really fast. Any questions on that piece? Yes. The, so the question is, how do you find a strategic accountant? Um, okay, I'm just, I'm gonna have to make this, I, I'm not sure how to describe it, but it's really stuff like, what would they put in your chart of accounts? Do they, do they understand that financial reports, that financial systems are there to serve the needs of leadership and of resource managers, or do they think that the financial systems are really important on their own? Um, beyond that, I have to say, call me. <laughs> you get to that point, call me, really, and I'm happy to talk about it for as long as it takes for you to understand it, um, but I can't do it today. Yes. Oh, here, and then we'll go there. And did you have a hand up? Okay. And then we have to go on. Go ahead. Okay, so the question is, is it possible to do both the regulatory approach and the strategic approach? A good strategic system is fabulous for all of your regulatory reporting. There's nothing a good strategic system can't do that a regulatory system can do. When a, when a nonprofit starts bringing in revenue, how is salary determined for the given, for staff? That is a really good question. Um, there are as many ways to decide on salaries as there are nonprofits. People do this very differently. It depends on the organization's values, on how much money it has. I mean, there is really no one way to decide. There are some good resources on what other people do. There is the wages and benefits survey that's done annually, and it'll show you what hundreds of other nonprofits do within certain ranges. Um, it's broken down by the type of organization, by the size of organization, by where the organization is. Um, other than that, there are lots of people who work for free, and there are lots of people who are highly paid, and there's people everywhere in between. Okay, and the, the Foundation Center, and if you all haven't heard of the Foundation Center, you should know of the Foundation Center. Um, there are many, many resources there. Oh, written out, foundationcenter.org. Do we have an example of a chart of accounts? Ooh, good question, you fell into my trap. Um, yes, and there are many prefab charts of accounts. Every accounting system will have prefab charts of accounts. Do not write that down, that is not okay. Here's the problem with the prefab chart of accounts. It's what works for somebody else. It's, it's deeply regulatory thinking. And so, when you are ready to design your chart of accounts, give me a call. With a 10-minute phone call, we can figure out what you should do a little bit differently. And it's really about your organization. You want, you want what your organization does to be embedded in that chart of accounts. Um, okay, so I'm sorry, we actually have to move on from this section, but anyone who didn't get to ask a question this time, I'll try to call on you first for um, questions in the next, next section, which is budgeting. Okay, what's a budget? What's a budget? I used to like to think of it that it was the penny pincher's way of saying no to me before I even asked. Um, what else do you think a budget might be? A description? Anybody? It's a plan. It's a forecast. Well, those are very constructive. Don't you have anything mean to say? It's hope, not perfume. I'm not sure I get it. Um, but we'll roll with that. <laughs> Anyone else? It's a guesstimate. All, all good. Um, so here's what we really say it is. A budget is your strategic plan expressed in numbers. If when I look at the numbers, I can't see a strategic plan in there, it is not a strategic budget. 
but but all of those things about um, plan, forecast, what did you say? Estimate. All of those things are right. Okay, so we're going to look at the strategic budgeting cycle. Okay, you determine your goals and you prioritize them. Once you have a budget, you are going to track and monitor both spending and the outcomes that you, you expected to achieve with that money. Next, you'll analyze, evaluate, and adjust what your expectations are because of the money, which finally will lead you to setting new goals and priorities. So once you get to where you set new goals and priorities, where do you think you're going to go next? Oh, who said that? Yes, that's exactly where you go. You go back to one. So, and this cycle can be anywhere from weekly to annual. You're not, I mean, if you're really doing this weekly, your budget projections were really bad and you're spending too much time monitoring. Um, but you should be doing this part of it, tracking, tracking and monitoring at least monthly. And anytime you are off, anytime you find variance, you should be figuring out why that variance is there, which will lead you to sort of analyze, evaluate, and adjust if you need to. Okay, these are the building blocks of a budget. When you start your budget process, the first piece of information you need to get is how much you have in savings. That doesn't mean net assets. That doesn't mean cash in the bank. That doesn't mean what you know you're going to get from some funder. That means money that you have already earned. It's already sitting in the bank, but you have already earned it. And it's yours free and clear. You can do anything you want with it. The reason that's the most important number to start a budget with is because that's your wiggle room. If you have no savings, you can't be wrong on your estimates, you can't take risks, and you certainly can't tr start any kind of expansion, right? Because you have no wiggle room. If, if you are wrong on any of your numbers and you get a negative number at the end of the year, you have no savings to cover that with, and you will be in debt. So you want to start your budgeting process knowing exactly how much you have in savings. Um, and, and then projecting the savings or unrestricted reserves you need three or five years down the road, if you don't have enough to cover at least three to six months of operations, then you need to start building that. The only way that a nonprofit builds savings is to have a surplus at the end of the year. So in year five, your savings is the surplus that you had or net income that you had in years one, two, three, and four. In year 10, it's the surplus or loss that you had in all of those years. So if you had a great year in year one, and the early years are often the best because you have new programs and funders are willing to give you money at that point. Um, so if you have surpluses in the early years and then you start having losses, you are eating away at your savings. Um, okay, I'll stop on that. Savings is a really big deal. Okay, the next thing you need to know is the projected cost of your outcome goals. Okay, so you, you know what you're going to try to do, right? You've got goals and you have prioritized them and you figure out how much it's going to cost you to do exactly that. And then you figure out how much income you can get. And there are all kinds of ways to project income, but you should definitely get in the habit because we're nonprofits, we work, we live off of soft money, we don't know, rarely do we know, some organizations do, rarely do we know what we're going to be able to bring in next year when we're building the budget in this year for next year. We rarely know what's going to come in for next year. So you should get used to building budgets, building income projections that have a percentage number in them where it's sort of your percentage certainty. And at the bottom, you sort of know your overall percentage. And the, and the income line that you use is the, includes the, it's weighted by the percentage, percentage certainty in each application that you're doing. Um, otherwise, you're going to have shortfalls. Okay, so those three pieces of information are the things you have to start with before you start putting 
really start putting your budget together. Yes. Okay, so the question is about savings, right? How do you know how much savings or how many months of savings you should have? So there's this rule of thumb out there that's three months. I hate that rule of thumb, but it's the only one that's out there, so I say it. But here's what it really is. Um, in your, for, it differs from nonprofit to nonprofit based on three things. One is your business cycle. So a business cycle is just the amount of time between when money comes in and money goes out for a given purpose. For many of us, it's annual. So each year we have these, an annual cycle. If you say an arts organization that does weekly shows, every week it's a different show, and every show either made money or lost money or broke even, then you have a weekly cycle. So what you're trying to build the savings for, this business, this normal operating savings for, is that if you have one bad cycle, you want to be protected for one bad cycle. If you're, if you're the arts nonprofit with a weekly cycle, you get three weeks of savings and you be cool because every, you, know, you can react very quickly to that. If you're an organization that does um, a great big summer childcare program, and all year long you sort of spend money going into the next summer, and most of the income comes in from, you know, April to August, then you really have an annual cycle, and you really should have an entire year of operating reserves, because if you have one bad year, you have, you can't make it up for another year. You can't react before the end of the year. So that's the operating side. The, the second thing is any strategic um, goals that you have. So in, for instance, if you, you want to build a new program um, or you want to build a, buy a building, then you have to start setting aside reserves for that strategic project. Um, and, and you would add those two reserves. And the third is, is a little more vague. It's sort of um, systemic risk. If you know that you have, um, you, you and every nonprofit in your, doing the same kind of work you do, has the same funder, and that funder could get in trouble, then you want to protect against some portion of what that funder gives you. If that's your, like your one funder, then you're really in trouble. Um, but so you, you want to look like for any kinds of, kind of risks like that. And, and add those three up, and that's how much you should have in reserves. Um, okay, where are we? Ah, budget views. Um, okay, so a budget, most people think a budget is this thing that's got a column that, of names, a column of numbers, and a total at the bottom. That is, that is one view of a budget. It, that is a consolidated annual budget. But that is the um, most sort of bird's eye big picture view of a budget. If that's all you have, you can't even monitor that. Um, you really need budgets that show you a bunch of different views. So for starters, your annual budget should be just a summary of 12 months of those same line items, and they better not be divided by 12. If you divided them by 12, don't let me know about that. Um, because you can't monitor that, right? It gives you really bad information. So you want to take your 12 months and put things where you really think the in, when you think the income com, will come in and when you think the expense will happen. Because what you're trying to do is put together something that you can monitor. And if you do a really good job of projecting, you can do what we call managing by variance. Every month you get your variance report and you look only for where you varied from your projection. When you're right on, you move on, you spend no time on that. When you see variance, you try to figure out why. And if it's an explanation that makes sense and that will work itself out, then you can move on. If it's something that you have to worry about, then you take action immediately. So, so that's why you want to get the best budget you can because throughout the year it will save you time because all you do is monitor. Um, so that's what the, the monthly consolidated with the annual is, that big thing shown by month. But you also need those monthly budgets. You, you need the 12 months plus annual for every program or project that you're doing where someone 
is supposed to be managing that project or program. If you have people managing something that they are held accountable for, then they have to have the information to make good decisions about it. Um, and finally, you need to do the same thing with the columns showing your funders. Because most likely you are reporting to these funders for their money. You, now you do want to move your funders to as little specificity as possible. Um, I see somebody grinning back there. Uh, but you really do. It's just, it is, um, it is a really bad use of your time to be monitoring line items and figuring out which receipts go to which funder. Okay, so here are our three budgets. Here's the first one. Okay, this organization is a consulting and training program. And they, in their strategic plan, say that their highest priority for the next year is their training program. And their second priority, which they're willing to go let go of if push comes to shove, is their consulting program. Um, can you tell whether or not this organization is following through on that strategic plan? No, and why not? Because it doesn't tell you anything about the programs. Yeah, I mean, you can see a bunch of money in staffing. The IRS would be very happy with this budget. Most of your funders would be happy with this budget, and probably a lot of your boards would be happy with that budget. But it's, it's a totally regulatory budget. Okay, here's our next one. Okay, so this one we broke up just like a 990 looks. We showed you all the stuff that went into program and all the stuff that goes into fundraising and administration. Oh, that sneaky one jumped out at me. Okay, see this one? That's what's in your 990s. And many of your funders will ask for a budget that looks like that also because everybody's doing these ratios. Okay, and here is a third view. Okay, so this one, we have all of the same line, line items that go here. So by what we call functional expense. And here we have the programs broken out. So is this organization doing what it says, which is to make training its highest priority and make um, consulting a second, a second priority? And I, and I purposely made an example where there's a loss here because part of the reason you want to prioritize those programs very, very clearly is that the edgiest programs you're doing, the riskiest programs you're doing, and very often the most important programs you're doing, like in the global social order of the world, the karmic order of the world, those are going to be really hard to fund. They are the hardest programs to fund. And, um, but you want to make intentional choices about what you subsidize. Otherwise, I mean, I have clients who literally subsidize 12 programs and never know it. And the, the program that they care most about that there's, that's their core program is subsidizing all of them. And until we break it out like this, they never really even knew it. They, you know, you can't know until you break it out. So this is what we call a matrix budget. And I did it really simply with just two program columns. These can have 10 program columns if you have 10 programs. But so this is the matrix budget and you definitely want to use matrix budgets. Okay, so here is the wrap-up, and then I'll take um, some questions here. Yes, you definitely want different views of that budget. A matrix budget is more informative, as we saw, and all programs don't have to break even. But you need to make intentional choices, or you need the data to make intentional choices, and you should be making intentional choices about which ones you're going to subsidize. Okay, any questions in this section? Yes. So the question is, do we always initially break up evenly between programs? And the answer is no. So what you, so you do your goals and priorities, and then the next thing you do is you figure out to get to these goals, how you know, what do we have to do and how much would it cost us? And that's how you really build a budget, is from the ground up, from activity up. No, I, um, that was just coincidental. I was just trying to make it lose money. <laughs> um, so, so you really want to start with activities, figure out how much the activities cost, and build from there. And then when you know how much income you have, then it's an iterative process. You will adjust your goals because we always start with bigger goals than we can actually fund. I mean, I always have anyway. Can I suggest a good software? E, I hate that question. Um,
No. Not because there isn't any good software, but because software is, um, that's kind of a choice you have to make on an organization by organization basis. Okay, I'll give you a better answer than that. So the, depending on the size of the organization, but if you're a smaller organization, um, you probably are gonna start out with less expensive software. Um, QuickBooks is the most common thing I see organizations using, and not even small organizations, big organizations using it. QuickBooks has some real problems in that, um, one, it, what, what are called audit trails can be turned off, either by accident or on purpose. And that is a very bad thing in an organization that doesn't have an owner. Um, you know, we are collectives, we are community organizations, and it's very, very bad to have software where you can turn off the audit trail, people go, can go in and make changes, and nobody ever knows that it happened. Um, the second thing is that it doesn't have an integral way of dividing income into restricted, temporarily restricted, permanently restricted, and unrestricted income. And assets aren't shown that way either. And it is incredibly important to know whether or not the money that you have has, is still restricted. Um, so those are the two things I deeply dislike about it. On the other hand, it's cheap, it's easy to use, and it does most of what you need. So there it is. Okay, so well, so here's my so I'm going to tell you about a couple of them. So that's QuickBooks. The next one is Peachtree. Peachtree is so QuickBooks started out as sort of a checkbook and got more sophisticated. Peachtree started out as sort of a like real accounting software and got simpler and and more easy, more user friendly. Um, but there aren't very many people who use Peachtree, and so it's really hard to get. Um, support, and it's really hard to get staff who knows how to use it. Um, the next, I am currently in a slight fascination with um, a software called MIP, which has what's, they, they just came out with what they call their single user version. It's identical to the expensive version, but it limits how many people can be using the software at the same time. Well, how many of us have a bunch of people using the software at the same time? We don't, right? Um, so it works for us. It's that version, it's about, I think to start with, it's about $3,000 plus about $750 a year for support and upgrades. So, you know, you can see it, it jumps. It's already pricey. The, the cheap QuickBooks you can get through TechSoup for $40. Bucks. Um, the expensive QuickBooks, you know, it's $400 if you go to the store. So, so that's a big price difference. MIP is great software, but it's, it's the first big jump. However, 3,500 is a much smaller jump than before they start the single user licenses, it starts at 10,000. So, um, so there it is. And, and we're actually at the loan fund going to do, we're hoping to do a, some research on software packages because I'm asked this question twice a day, every day. And I always have to say, uh, I don't know. So. Um, okay, so we should go on. And I'm sorry, but if you didn't get to ask a question, you can ask it in the next section, hopefully. Okay, so this is the third section, which is financial statements. And this, I have to admit, is actually my favorite section. Um, because this is something that you can actually just start using immediately. And again, I usually do this in three hours, and it's a jam three hours. But there it is, we're gonna do it anyway. Okay. So in the big world of financial statements, there are many, many, many reports that come across everybody's desk. What, um, what financial reports do people around here get, think they should get, or have seen drifting across somebody's desk? Call them out. Cash flow. Profit and loss. What would somebody say? A balance sheet. What? An income statement. A budget with actuals. Ooh, you guys get some good stuff. The audit report. Mm-hmm. How about 990s? Uh-huh. How about trial balances? Well, here's my big favorite. The, um, the check disbursement journal. Oh, no, no. What do they call it? The cash disbursement, disbursements journal. Why would anybody give you that? But they do. The payables aging reports. People get these all the time. 
So, so every report that you can think of, we can, we can throw into one of these four categories. We're going to divide them into historical information, projections, variance reports, and arcane or esoteric reports. Arcane and esoteric reports are what about with our time? They're useless. So if you are financial staff, they're not useless. You know, then there's, you use a bunch of this stuff. But unless you are financial staff, you need to be using the things. If you're, if you're an ED, if you're leadership, if you're the board, you need to be getting those reports that give you the best information in the simplest format possible. And none of these qualify. Okay? The audit report is in, a, is in a group on its own because that is totally regulatory. When at the loan fund, when I am underwriting, when I'm being a lender, I want, audit, I want audited financial statements because I want them to have gotten looked at by a third party and I want a standard format. But when I'm working with a client and I want them to build a good organization and I care about where they're going to be tomorrow, then I don't use that. Then I want to see what they're using internally. So audit reports are, in, are very important because your funders want them, your lenders want them, but as a management tool, they are what? They're useless. Uh -huh. For one thing, they're usually really out of date. Um, and for another, the format probably isn't the same as the format you use internally, although that should change. Okay, so we are not going to use, did I set this up to do this? Yes. Oh, no, I didn't. Yes. So we are going to use only projections and variance reports. We're not going to use old historical information. We're not going to use audit reports. And we're not going to use any arcane or esoteric information. So the financial managements for strategic management are going to be two, balance sheet and the income statement variance report. So somebody said they get a profit and loss, somebody else said they get an income statement. Those are exactly the same thing. A profit and loss, an income statement, a statement of activities, a statement of income and expense. They're all the same thing. And you have in your handouts um, a page that shows a narrative, a narrative format for an income statement. And, um, oh my lord, you don't. I am so embarrassed. I didn't give that to you. Okay. Never mind. Um, all of those things are the same report. And the balance sheet has a couple of names. The balance sheet call is called a balance sheet or a statement of financial position. In the audit report, it's usually called a statement of financial position. Um, okay, so these are the two that we're going to use. Embedded in the variance report that we're going to use is a budget, a, um, an income statement for the period, an income statement year to date, and variance reports for the period, variance reports year to date. So you can actually use this 10-column report that I'm going to show you, or you can gather a bunch of different pieces of paper which will give you the same information, but then you have to do calculations, and that's annoying. Um, okay, so here's a balance sheet. I know you can't see this, but this is a narrative version of a balance sheet. It's, it's there so that you'll know what the pieces of it are. The other names it's known by are up there also. And this one is just a description. It's an actual little balance sheet. Um, I'm really sorry that I didn't include an income statement now. I mean, I didn't for a reason because, you know, I knew we'd be in a big hurry. But if you want to see that, I, I'd be happy to email it to any of you that want it. Um, and this is the columns of a variance report. So all a variance report is, somebody called it a budgeted to actual. So all a, var all an in all a variance report is, is the income statement for the period with a second column here, either here or here, a second column that shows what you actually took in and spent during that same period, and then a column that shows the difference between the two. These columns, the, the, um, the formula, whether it's budgeted minus actual or actual minus budget, varies from statement to statement. And in some organizations, it even varies from top to bottom. The reason people do that is they want, they, like they train the board or the staff 
to look for everything in parentheses is bad. So you have to switch the formula from top to bottom. So I see somebody nodding over there. Ah, he's, a, he's an accountant. He knows. <laughs> um, so these are extremely useful reports to have. You just have to figure out which formula they're using. And you can figure it out just by dividing them, or I mean subtracting them. Um, but you have to do that. Most people will tell you what the formula is right on the report. If they don't, just do ask them or do a simple calculation to figure out. But do the calculation on the top and the bottom, because it could be different. OK, and here's the report. Um, so this is what I call a 10-column variance report. Um, here are the line items, and here's the current periods budgeted. If, this was, if it started with actual and we stopped right here, that would be just an income statement. So it's budgeted, actual, and variance for the period, month or quarter, whatever you're looking at. Budgeted, actual, and variance for year to date. This is really important when you start trying to get information about whether or not you have enough money to do something. This is the annual budget just for comparison. And these two rows are to make your work faster. So the first row tells you what percentage of the line item this represents, the variance represents. And the second row, second column of percentages tells you what percentage of the total income or total expense the line item represents. So you could be 200% over on supplies, but they represent 1% of your total budget. So you should just move on. It's, you know, if you're 3% off on something that represents 40% of your budget, you should sweat that. Um, and, and so that's what you're trying to do, is just get a report that gives you as much information as you can get in the simplest way possible so that you can spend as little time monitoring your organization's finance, finances as possible. As little time, but do it very well. OK, so here are the, this is a process for answering questions. And you really can just pull this little sheet of paper out and walk down it. Um, if you're a more graphic person, like you like graphics better, I actually have this done as a little graphic. And I'd be happy to send that to you, but I was trying to keep the paper down. Um, actually, they asked us to use as little paper as possible, double side, and get recycled paper. Um, OK, so this is. Um, this is just a list of questions that you'll go through every time Every time you're trying to make a day-to-day -day financial decision. OK, so your computer died. You have to replace it. You have no choices. The first thing you want to ask, for your, ask yourself is, what? Anybody, look up there. Tell me the first thing you want to ask. What is it a one-time cost? Why do you think it matters whether it's a one-time cost versus an ongoing cost? All of those things are right. So a one-time cost, you can you only have to figure out whether you can do it this one time. Two, you can go look for whether it's in the budget somewhere. Um, and, and you can follow this down and see exactly the pattern to follow. But most important is that, uh-huh. Um, so the question was, are we counting for depreciation? Um, no. So a one-time cost is, is when you have to like buy something, right? And here's the most important reason that we care if it's a one-time cost versus an ongoing cost. That if push comes to shove, we have to get it. It's not budgeted for, or we already spent that line item. We can make a choice to take the money out of our savings. With an ongoing cost, we can't. Because an ongoing cost increases your ongoing operations from here on out. And so you, it, it's much too dangerous to make a choice like that out of savings. Um, so that's why that's the first question we ask ourselves. Because it's easier to deal with if it's a one-time cost. Uh-huh. OK, so the, so the, the follow-up question was about, um, well, well, let me just say that it is a, anything that you depreciate Ugh, I was hoping this wouldn't come up. OK, there are two, two totally different kinds of budgets. One is your operating budget, and the other is a capital budget. 
and you, you actually should know this. It's, it's, it's good that it came up. When you buy property, plant, or equipment, it doesn't go through the income statement. It goes through the balance sheet. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. You should probably write yourselves a note to the, about this. Capital expenses don't show up on the income statement. They only show up on the balance sheet. And when that comes up, call me. Because, I mean, yeah, that's why, that's why it doesn't come up here, because it's a capital expense. Okay, so remember that. Capital expense, call her. Oh, okay, so, so th this woman is saying, so, and you had just said, and the most important thing is, but then a question was asked, the most important thing is you can make a choice to take it out of savings. But it must be a very intentional choice because you do not want to burn up your savings. That's what stands between you and bad things. Okay, so here's the financial statements wrap up. Who can tell me what the first reason to look at a financial statement is or to ignore a financial statement is? And you can look up there to get a big hint. If it doesn't answer a question, don't even look at it. If you have no questions at all, then I'm worried about you. But if you're looking at statements that don't answer your questions, it, it's not a good use of your time, and those are bad statements. Get statements that answer your questions. Okay, you want them to be brief but comprehensive, because that will save you time. Yes, you can do, instead of using a 10-column variance report, you can use four pieces of paper. But when you get to month 11, you're actually using 24 pieces of paper. So you want to save yourself as much time as you can so that you get in the habit of doing this in about 15 minutes a month. Um, all financial statements should be on one page. That's our mantra. How many pages should, be, should a balance sheet take up? One page, he says. He thinks it should take one page. OK. How many pages do you write there? How many pages should your income statement take? Yes, you, in a nice leaf green shirt. One page. My, what an agreeable audience. Um, okay, we've got a variance report, and it's got a bunch of columns and a bunch of periods in it. How many pages should a complex variance report be? Anybody? One page. Thank you very much. There are times that you're going to look more deeply at a program or more deeply like at budget time at the budget, and then you will have more than one page. On a normal basis for your monitoring, they should be on one page because otherwise you're adding up columns and that's not a good use of your time. Okay, one time versus ongoing. You know what that means and you will just flip the page and follow the process. And here's my favorite one. This is the other mantra. And what is it? Who can tell me what the mantra is? Manage by variance. If there's no variance, move on. You've got a program to run. If there is a variance, figure out why. If it's a timing issue, you're off by $10,000 because the money, the check didn't come in, or you're up by $10,000 because it came in a month early, move on. If there's, if you do, if there's something, if you're off by $10,000 because you got $10,000 less, you absolutely must sweat that and you must sweat it immediately. Putting it off only makes it a harder decision. So that's why you're managing by variance. If you're on target, move on. Stipends versus salaries, what's the benefits? OK, did everybody hear that answer? The question was um, stipends versus salaries. And the answer, this woman's an employment lawyer, the answer is, um, was too long for me to actually repeat it. But I think the core of it is that there are laws that govern whether or not you can Consider that person a stipended person as opposed to a, an employee who must get a salary um, and, and come under all of the auspices and benefits of a salaried staff. Okay, so the question is, he works for a nonprofit that has a couple million dollar budget. It's fairly established. He thinks their um, systems are regulatory rather than strategic. How hard is it to change those systems? Okay. So first she started out by stroking me and telling me I did a really good job, and I thank you for that. Um, and then she asked for if there are any additional resources. Yes, in fact, um, there are a couple. One is, um, there's so, so not specifically on like strategic systems, but on good systems, and not using the same kind of language about it, um, 
Jean Peters and Liz Schaefer. Jean Peters is from Compass Point, and Liz is a, a consultant that does a lot of work through Compass Point. They have a book called Financial Leadership that was published about a year or two ago. Um, it's available through the Fieldstone Press, Fieldstone Alliance. And that's very good, and it's very simple, and it's very straightforward. Um, so I, I would start with that. Okay, so wait, who did I say? You guys remember who I said. Oh, yes, right there, and then behind her, and then right here. Go ahead. So the question is similar to the one in the middle of the room. Um, they've been around for about 30 years. They have good systems. They're regulatory. How do they take the leap to being a strategic um, organization? Um, and you know, do you go to workshops? Do you read books? Do you whatever? Um, I don't know all of the ways that people do it. Um, so, so we do it. You know, as consultants, we go in and we work with a group. It it takes a long time. Um, because there's a lot of talking to do. You know, there's a lot of figuring out, so what do we really do? What are our programs? Um, how do we really, at what, at what points do people need decision-making authority? Um, and, you know, and it would be a really good idea if we documented the process and, you know, wrote a monograph or something on it so that you could then follow it. And I'll, now I feel guilty we haven't done that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I've never seen anything uh, specifically doing it. I will look. Email me and see if I found anything, because um, I will look, because that's a really good idea, and we should have documented it before now. So she was asking, like, how they break it up by programs. They're a counseling center. They do group therapy, individual therapy, and, oh, and couples therapy. And so is that breaking it up by program? It's whatever you all, like, if you look at your organizational chart, that probably gives you a good idea what what your work really how your work really breaks down. Um, you know, I can't tell you without knowing your organization better, but you all probably know it. So what you're really looking for is at what level of the organization do we need to get reports to someone or some group so they can make decisions? That's where the breakdown is, even by program. So you may have all three of those under one person. And they really operate as one team. The funding could be different. So, so that's what you want to think about: is at what level does somebody have to get reports to make decisions with? Okay, and then right here. So the question was: as a nonprofit, what do you have to file? And that that leads very nicely into my having forgotten to tell you that. So the next workshop in here is Joe Kroll from the IRS. He's a man in black. Um, and he is more appropriate to answer that question than I am, but I can tell you it's a 990 and a 199. So you do a state form and a federal form. They're called a 199 and a 990. Um, but you should ask him. There, so there are other reportings that you have to do every year. And the Attorney General's website has a very nice little pamphlet called the, um, what's it called? The something for charities. The red pamphlet. Anyway, you can get it on the website. And it tells you everything that a registered charity in California needs to do. And they tell you what you need to do at the county, state, federal levels and, and all of the regulatory reporting that there is. So it's a really, really, really good handbook. It's about 45 pages, like 8.5 by 11. And it was just updated last year. Uh, CA dot, no, ag.ca.gov. AG Attorney General, a CA AG. It's, it's either CA AG. A-G-C-A-Gov. Yeah, I go there all the time. The Secretary of State's S-S-C-A-Gov. Um, okay, so we are out of time. You have been lovely, and I thank you so much. Oh. Thank you. We hope you enjoy this free podcast from the Nonprofit Boot Camp series. Craigslist Foundation produces events and online tools that provide knowledge, resources, and visibility to the next generation of nonprofit leaders. To learn more about Craigslist Foundation or the Nonprofit Boot Camp conferences, visit www.craigslistfoundation.org. This series is funded by the Community Technology Foundation of California, which helps underserved communities secure social justice, access, and equality through the application of information and communications technologies.
Registered members of the Conversations Network receive a wide variety of benefits. For free membership or to help support our efforts through your donations, visit conversationsnetwork.org. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Rob Lepper. Our website editor was Sathyesh Chakravarthy. The series producer is Liz Evans. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you will join me next time for another program from the Nonprofit Boot Camp Series. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.